Jesus 
wonderful Savior we have. Thank you, Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I didn't know how to sing the songs of Zion, for I was lost in sin. But all of my life was weeping and sighing. I had no
tonight, but it's good to see uh, Terry back in here tonight, huh, Terry? <laughs> he had a drama all weekend. Thank God he's okay. Larry, I'm talking about. I said Larry. I thought I said Larry. No, you're fine, Terry. I know you're good. I'm fine. I just wanted to go get a different prescription. Well, you sure went a long ways around to get a different prescription, Larry. And this thing don't happen. All right, I went to the doctor, what, 30 days? I mean, about 30 days ago, and they re-upped me on my prescription. But I don't like doing them because they make me feel weird. And so I went into the clinic yesterday morning at 1030. I didn't want to turn it into uh, tis the season. I didn't want to turn it into pneumonia later on. Preventative maintenance. And I wanted to go get a different prescription. Well, they said, well, we don't really give you different prescriptions because you've got everything we can protract. They said, but we want to monitor your breathing. And I told her, I said, this thing don't happen until quarter to five, until I go to sleep. You know, I mean, but during the day, I'm fine. You know, I can talk and I can move around. But at quarter to five or so, it hits. And I, I usually have to push in on my chest just to finish the sentence. One sentence. Okay. So, uh, they monitored my breathing and they realized that they, they, uh, they gave me a choice last night. I could either stay overnight, which their bed's really, really bad. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they gave me a choice. I could either stay or go home. And that was it. Nine o'clock last night. Okay. You can sit right here. And I said, send me home. So, uh, in other words, they monitored my breathing and they realized what I was saying was true. Now, now all they did was, was they uh, prescribed me. One of my inhalers, a big one that's got uh, two different drugs in it, the COPD, and steroids, which they never did. And I did. I was on the steroids last night, and then uh, this morning, about uh, before dawn, well, about what time I get up, I felt like I had a big block or something in my lung here. I mean, I could feel it moving around in there. Follow my tea you've been start, drinking. I was able to start coughing stuff up. <laughs> so, in other words. The steroids is what I need, and it's a five-day regimen. I'm going to be fine. Well, we're glad. We all we're all we're praying for you, Larry, and uh, we're glad that the Lord uh, got you here tonight yeah. for the miracle. You just wanted to spend a day at the doctor's office and hospital, I guess. So we're just glad to hear you a couple of days of that, Terry. But we were calling Terry, we were calling you to make sure that you were okay. So we're glad to hear that that you're fine. They told me this is uh, my prescription is get lots of uh, five days, get lots of rest. And yeah, the steroids are going to make me hungry. So it's Thanksgiving week. So <laughs> yeah, that'll fit right in for you, Terry. Larry, yeah, I'm and, sorry. And, and the relaxation thing, he's got that down. Oh, yeah. He already had that down pretty good. <laughs> it's good to be here tonight with you guys. It's so uh, great to have Jake with us, wonderful wife with us tonight, and Ricky. 
and his wife with us tonight. What a blessing. Uh, expecting wonderful things in the Lord tonight. Thank God. It's good, it's good to have you guys. Joe, well, it's good to have you with us tonight. What a blessing. And David, uh, and uh, Wes, what a blessing. And all, welcome to everyone in, uh, on YouTube also. We've got some listeners there too on Cedric. So what a blessing. Uh, we want your comments. We want to hear from you. Uh, it's a blessing to, to have everyone here. Uh, you know, we when we have church here at, at the house, we um, we normally uh, we, we want to really have church. It's not about just one person speaking like me. It's uh, it, we want to know what you're feeling, what you're hurting, what you maybe read. You maybe have a revelation. Maybe have a word for, word that uh, you like to. Maybe something you read you didn't understand. Maybe the, uh, you feel an ailment. Whatever. We want to be there for the needs of the people. So I want to start off tonight uh, by just asking if there's any. Any, uh, anything on anybody's heart or anything going on that we uh, need to hear about or uh, anything? Anybody got anything, first of all? Praise the Lord. Any needs? Everybody good? Larry's good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very much. Well, he's good. <laughs> uh, Jacob, it's great to have you playing the guitar with me. What a blessing. Thank you for, thank you for that. Um, we do legs together <laughs> at the gym, so we've been uh, training together what a few weeks, and uh, he survived, and <laughs> maybe I'm the one who survived. <laughs> and it's been a blessing, uh, and it's so great to have you all tonight. It's really a blessing to have you enjoy Jacob, and I want to tell you about my longtime friend Ricky. Ricky and I have been friends. What did we figure, Ricky? Fifty what years? About fifty-one years. Fifty-one years. Uh, been to uh, been been friends and, and we keep up with each other, um, and uh, we keep up with each other every year, at least for our birthdays, right? That's correct. And uh, we go way back. So I've known this guy pretty much more than I've known uh, anybody, you know. And probably could almost say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Ricky, exactly. we've been together for a long time. We we worked together, we played together, we went to school together. We went track together. We actually don't want to talk about the track days too much, though, so we won't go there. But he's been a tremendous friend, a, a guy that uh, just has gone out of his way to uh, make sure that we kept our relationship up, and I appreciate that so much. He even lived in the house that I grew up with, grew up in. Uh, now it's now it flooded out in the last flood, so I think it's about that house is about over. But I wanted I wanted to uh, ask I asked Rick to come, and it's such a blessing to have you and your wife with us tonight, Rick. And I want to ask uh, Rick to come because. Uh, about approximately a year ago, isn't it? Uh, Rick, it's been just about a year ago, I, I received a phone call from Rick. And um, Ricky called me up. I was in the warehouse working. I remember the exact, same, exact time and, and uh, what was going on. And we were just working in. And Rick, said, Rick called up. He said, this is Ricky. I said, yeah. How you doing, Rick? He says, well, he says, I, I wanted to call and invite you to my funeral. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was broken. And... Um, I hope I can contain myself today because uh, I remember him and I were both crying on the phone, and um, because he knew that it was that he was dying. He had been on dialysis machine, dialysis machine where he uh, his kidneys have had failed. Um, you told me I think your triglycerides were what, Ricky? Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. I don't know if you know know much about triglycerides, but normally you should be around a hundred. I think he's there now, around a hundred, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, his his liver was failing. He everything was failing, and uh, he decided to go home. And the doctors pretty much recommended that he go home and be with his family. 
uh, the little bit of time he had left. Uh, Christmas was right around the corner. And, um, wasn't supposed to make it to Christmas. Wasn't supposed to make it, Rick. Tell, tell me what was going on inside of you, Rick, during that. I, I mean, that's got to be a devastating time where you're feeling this coming on. At first it was the, the Lord comforted me. Uh, I found out that I had about 10 days to live. After I stopped dialysis, that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And they said, well, you're going to die. And I said, well, this is not quality of life. So um, I'll accept my fate. And uh, so they called it hospice, and they told me I had about 10 days to live. So the hospice was actually called in, which doesn't give you long to live, actually. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I asked, you know, what was going to happen during those 10 days? And they said, my organs would start shutting down one by one, and I'd start sleeping longer. And then one day I just wouldn't wake up. And I thought to myself, well, when I wake up, I'll be in heaven. And so where do I sign? You know, that, that's okay by me. I go to sleep peacefully and wake up in heaven. So uh, after I got the word that I had about 10 days to live, I, I thought, well, you know, right now would be a nice time to call upon the Lord and, and did so. And immediately I felt my hand in his in peace throughout my entire body, just wonderful. And he said, what can I do for you? And I said, I'd really like to not be in any pain. To this day, when my pancreatitis was, was the attack that I had, to this day I've yet to have any pain from that. And then uh, he said that he'd take care of that pain. And that, what else would I like? And I said, I'd like for my family to understand my decision on what I've made. And, for them to understand. And he said, well, uh, we can do that. And he said, what else? I said, we just take it day by day from here. And uh, so then, here I am still today. Rick, I went to see you and uh, you and your wife. And uh, you, at that time, you, uh, you you had accepted death. Right. And um, of course, you looked like death. You know, you were going through a, a rough time at that, at that particular time I went by. And, uh, and we prayed together before I left. We yeah. talked and we prayed. And, uh, and, and so basically, you, you knew that your time was short. Uh, you, you, you had called your family in to have early Christmas, right. to uh, uh, have a little family time before you went home. Everybody knew it was, you were going and uh, had accepted that. Right. And, but yet, um, a couple of weeks later, a week or two later, I get a phone call, Rick, and I look at my phone, and it says Ricky Raven from... ID and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's his wife calling me with the funeral arrangements. But when I answered the phone, which I didn't want to answer it because I didn't want to hear that, and uh, I answered it, and it was Ricky. And uh, tell me what, what happened, Ricky. I said, everything seems to be okay. I, my body has reset. I went to the doctor, and uh, they did blood work on me and said, your kidneys are working fine. Uh, you're, you had uh, diabetes and all that's in check now. You don't have to take any more diabetes medicine. It was like my whole body reset. Man. I mean, when you called me, Ricky, you had like just, you had like energy in yeah, your voice. You I was know, and I was like, "What's going on?" And I asked you, "What's going on, Ricky?" Yeah. Remember that? And you said, "It's a miracle." Yeah. It's a miracle. God, God's done a miracle. I, you know, like I said, I hate to use the M word on myself, but I have no other word to explain it. That uh, I'm still at, at a loss for words of what mm -hmm. He's done for me. Yeah. And uh, so I. I think this is what he wants me to do is go around telling people that miracles still happen today, not just in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that I am one. So Amen. I've lived it. Amen. 
A walking miracle. Walking miracle. You know, it's, it's great as a as a as a best friend, a good friend for so long, and to to know you, you know, and to see, you know, just like yourself, you know, to know you and to see something like that transform. I mean, it had had to have an impact in your life. Did you turn that for her? No, 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 please don't. Okay. But um, to me, it's a testament to the power of prayer. This is Rick's wife, okay. To a testament to the power of prayer. Because so many people were praying for him. People who knew him, people who didn't know him. Different churches had him on their prayer sheets. And I think that that's, that's where, you know, God answered prayer. Yeah. It is a miracle. And he answers prayer every day. And it's a miracle And I'm nobody special. I am the sinner saved by grace, you know. Grace the Lord just well, Rick. I want to miracle. I want to share some things with you, um, with with the group here, on that. You know, in John chapter five, um, if you go there, if some if some of you go there, John chapter five. So he's a Rick's a walking miracle. Praise the Lord. You know, the, the, a lot of people, like you said, Ricky, I've gone across groups that, that don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in healings. They don't believe. They believe they're past. That they were past with the canon and the completion of the New Testament. They believe that was something for that the apostles did, and that it doesn't happen today. Uh, but that's a good testimony to show that hey, God is still alive and well, and He still does those miracles He did two thousand years ago. It's still going on today. I'm walking testimony. I came home to die, and here I am a year later, and still more energetic and better than I've ever been. So uh, I think Rick could go out and just. Take a jog around the block, you know, and still make it. <laughs> Maybe not a fast with like the old days, huh, Rick? <laughs> John chapter 5, and we'll go, we'll start there. Rick, you can go sit down with her now if you want. Thank you. Thank you for coming up. You can stay here, either one. John chapter 5, it says uh, that in, in John chapter 5, it's a story about a man that, was, that, was, that wanted to get healed. He had had an infirmity for 38 years. He was sitting by a pool, and every time the pool would get stirred up, he could, people would go ahead of him because he was, he was paralytic. He couldn't move, couldn't only get there, and people would go ahead of him and get the healing. And he, he tried to do this over and over and stayed there for 38 years with this, with this disease and, and uh, couldn't get healed that he had. Um, in, in verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lie there and knew that he had been now there a long time, uh, in verse 6, in that, in, in that case, he said to him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man, the sick man, answered him, saying, Sir, I have, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the, into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and walked and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Um, I want you to see what Jesus said to the man in verse 11. He answered them, uh, Jesus did, he that made me, no, he demanded, made me hold the same, said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Mm -hmm. And he goes down to verse 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said to him, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing coming to thee. So we see here he's, he's telling the man that was, that was sick that he healed, he said, now here's your instruction. Quit sinning lest the worst thing come upon you. And I've seen people that get healings 
And then end up getting it back because they continue in their sin. And what the Lord would have us to do is to stop sinning and, and, uh, and to live a holy life. And he's given you this wonderful gift to, to, to rise you up and to heal you. And, and we see the prophecies in the scriptures. We see many healings in the scriptures. We see a man in Acts chapter 3. He's sitting on the, on the sidelines begging. Uh, he can't walk. He's never walked a day in his life. He's over 40 years old. And, he, and he's sitting there and, and he's begging for food to be able to eat for money. And Peter, uh, and Peter walks up, Peter John, and, they, and they're coming up to the temple to go, to go minister in there. And they look at him and they look down at him as though he was, as the man thought, well, they're going to give me something. And they both said to him, Peter says, silver and gold, have I none? I don't have any money. But such as I have, give I thee. And he took him by the hand and says, arise up and walk. And here's a man that had never, you know, we work out, uh, Jacob, and you know, you strengthen your legs you, by working out stuff. This man had never stood up in his life. The Bible says he was over 40 years old. And all of a sudden, strength came into his legs. And he was able to stand up. And not only stand up, but the Bible says he went walking and leaping and praising the Lord. And everybody was like freaked out because they knew, this. is this the same guy or is this some other guy? But God, but God had done a miracle. And they, then they began to want to worship Peter and him. And Peter says, no, it's not us. It's, it's the Lord, Jesus, the one whom you crucified that has done this miracle in, in, this, in this man's life. And, and so they all began to, began to praise the Lord. And, of course, they wanted to throw, the other religious leaders wanted to throw, throw them in jail because, of, uh, because they, they saw that the men were wanting to follow Jesus. So what, what miracles God is doing, and we see in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, he talks about the miracles. But the, the point I want to bring out tonight is that, first of all, to, to glorify the Lord for what he's done in Ricky. Uh, he's done it in many of us. Um, um, Cedric's grandmother was here uh, three weeks ago with a real, real bad uh, pain in her back, and pain's going on, and, uh, um, and the Lord healed her. And she has no more pain in her back, in her back any longer. Uh, many, many miracles. I know in my life, miracle after miracle has happened of, of healings. But I want to talk about something that even is more important than that. And that is the healing of the soul, of, of being right to meet the Lord. You know, you came real close to meeting God. And what, what is required to make it into heaven, to be able to meet the Lord according to the word of God? What is really required? And that's what is important that we need to, that we all need to understand and know is what will it take if we approach that day and we're going to meet God face to face. We hear a lot of different things told that what, what does it take to, to really make it heaven? Um, some people say, well, if you, if you uh, ask Jesus to come in your heart and you ask him to forgive your sins, then you're going to go to heaven. Um, well, the scripture doesn't really say that. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Some people think, well, if I just go to church enough, then I'll go to heaven. Well, the scripture doesn't say that either. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Okay, so you, you're, you're saying, you quote in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, I think, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Actually, chapter 12. So, so... So if a man is not walking in holiness, you're saying, Don, that he's not going to be able to see the Lord. He's not going to be able to walk, walk in it. 
a lot of people know John say that, well, you know what, if, if I just believe on the Lord, believe on him that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to heaven. And, they, and, sometimes, and what happens when you start, that's, that's found in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, but the rest of the verse is not read, where it says that, but he that believes unto righteousness, that, it, that belief has to, has to go deeper than just a head belief or historical belief. The Bible says in James chapter 2, and you, we were talking about that the other day, Jacob, about the read James chapter 2, that in, in, James, in James chapter 2, it talks about the devils even believe and tremble. So that's a different kind of belief. But the belief that Jesus is talking about, he says in 1 John chapter 5, that he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. So it's a really a deep belief that you are believing unto righteousness. We, we have such a, a devastation, I think, in the church system today in that we've adopted teachings of man and without teachings of what the Bible really says. For instance, we haven't adopted teaching in a man that man is born in a depraved nature, that he's born depraved, and that um, he will sin for the rest of his life which nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It was adopted, first of all, by one called Augustine. We know him as St. Augustine. He taught uh, years ago, back around 325 A.D., he taught that man's nature was depraved because of Adam, that the sin of Adam was passed on to mankind, and every child that's born into the world is born with a depraved nature called original sin or sin nature or Adam from Adam's transgression. How many of you have ever heard of that? All right, you've all, most everybody's heard that. You've been raised up in religion. I don't care if you were Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, whatever you were. They all, it's all in there. Now what happens is there was, a, before 350 AD, if you look at church history, nobody believed that besides what's called the Gnostics or the Manichaeans. Those were groups that believed that, that um, you, you could, like sin wasn't kind of like you could sin in the flesh, but your spirit wasn't corrupted by your sin, which is crazy, but that's what some of the doctrines that were back in the early years. But they believed that, you, that man had a free will, that, he, that man had a choice in his salvation. But when Augustine came in and actually argued, argued it with a fellow by the name of Pelagius, and they had a debate, uh, this, this happened right after Constantine came in, Anybody knows who Constantine is? Anybody know, know who Constantine? Some of you know. He was the one that came in around 325 A.D. And he came in, and he, did, and he made, every, which was, at that time there was a lot of persecutions by Christians and all, and he came in and said, no, everybody's going to be one religion. Whether you're, whether you're um, pagan, whether you're Christian, whatever, everybody's going to come together and worship together. And so Constantine did this and made the masses come together and that's where basically the, um, what was called the universal church or the Catholic church. That's how it was formed because he, he brought that together. The problem with that is, is a lot of other doctrines came into being. And so if you weren't part of that, you pretty much could get killed. So Augustine was, had become part of that and he taught that, that man was corrupted and had a sin nature. He was depraved. And that's why in the in, the, in Catholicism, why they christen or baptize many times 
when a baby is born because the, if the baby, if, if it's true that you're born with a depraved nature, I want you to think about this. Then as a baby, if you died, you would go to hell because you would be born with Adam's transgression. And without repentance, there's no remission of sins. And a baby can't repent. So they're thinking, well, I can baptize them real quick. And that way, if they die, they won't go to hell. And, uh, but what happened when, when after that, we had Martin Luther that came in, and Martin Luther t carried over those doctrines into, into the Protestant churches. And from there, it went on and on. And as if we all have this sin nature, and we're going to sin till the day we die, and we're all just a bunch of poor old sinners saved by grace. And you've heard that many, many times. That is what the religious world will teach you. That is not what the Bible says. And we've gone over this again but I, I, many times, but I want to make it clear because this is, so, this is so important. This is a doctrine of what of the Gnostics. A lot of people who call themselves Christians today are really Gnostics because Gnostics believe that you had a depraved nature. Augustine believed, Augustine believed that you had a depraved nature. You were, born, you were born with this, and therefore the rest of your life, you're going to sin. And that's the best you can do because of this Adam's nature passed on to you. Would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18? And I know we've been this through this before, but I want to do it for the, those that haven't, that, that haven't heard it and don't, don't understand because this is the foundation of getting things in your life, in my life, in the right perspective of understanding scripture. Ezekiel chapter 18. And go to verse 20. Anybody need a Bible? You, you, you got one? You have one on your phone? Good man. There you go. This is an important scripture. I, I recommend that you jot it down. That you remember it. Uh, because it's very, very, very important. To, to refute this kind of uh, false teaching. Ezekiel 18.20. It says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The, sh the son, listen carefully, the son shall not bear the iniquity. Iniquity is an old word for sin. The son shall not bear the sin of the father, neither shall the father bear the sin of the son. In other words, you're not gonna, your sin from your father is not passed on to you. You don't have that sin. Uh, Adam was considered our father because he was the first man that was ever created. All mankind was created after him. So here it's saying that the, uh, the, the son shall not bear the sin of the father. The son shall not bear the sin of the father, neither shall the father bear the sin of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So in other words, we're, we're responsible for our own consequences. We have the consequences of our own sin. You make that choice. You not, a lot of people like to say, well, you know, that's the best I can do because I've got this sin nature. But see, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that his sin is not passed on to you. So if his sin was passed on to you, that would mean that you were born corrupt. Now go to, with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Oh, I Ecclesiastes chapter 7.
Verse 29. It says, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So what's he saying? That man was made upright. He wasn't made with a sin nature. He wasn't made depraved. He was created upright, not, not corrupt. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, and then Deuteronomy, the third book in the Bible. Leviticus, I'm sorry, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, I'm sorry. I'm just testing y'all to see if y'all know where you're at. Deuteronomy what? Deuteronomy 1. And verse 39. He's talking about when Joshua and Caleb were in the wilderness uh, going to the promised land. And he's talking about the, remember, the, they, their bones, uh, the uh, children of Israel uh, didn't believe God and their bones rotted in the wilderness for 40 years and raised up the next generation to go, go into the land of Canaan. And he says here, he says in verse 39, he says, Moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. So since their children didn't have knowledge of good and evil. So the Bible says that in, in 1 John chapter 3, that sin is the transgression of the law. But if they don't have good and evil, they can't transgress the law because they didn't, they didn't know good or evil. So they didn't have this on them. There wasn't a depraved nature on them. So with that out the way, we see in Genesis chapter 3, we see there when Adam and Eve had sinned, and I know this is a rehearse for a lot of you, but I want, I want to bring this out to those that haven't. In Genesis chapter 3, after Eve had, had eaten of the, of the fruit of the garden that she, that she was commanded not to eat, and by the way, when she ate of it, what did the devil tell her? He came in the form of the serpent. And he told her, you can eat this fruit. God, make sure I say it right. If you eat this fruit, you, you, what, what, how's it go, Don? Don? Pardon? Oh. Pardon? <laughs> oh, I don't know where he had. Uh, if, if you eat this fruit, you shall, not, you shall surely not die. You shall not surely die. Not surely die. I knew I would get that wrong. So, okay. <laughs> so, so what did the devil tell her? You can eat the fruit and you won't die. What it, that's the same doctrine today. You can do what's forbidden by God and you won't die. You won't go to hell. You won't suffer torment. Because, people want to say, because Jesus just covers over it. Because Jesus became your, your sin offering, your sin sacrifice. So you can sin and God doesn't see your sin. That's what you're being told, uh, that you're covered by the blood of, of, of Jesus. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. This is man's doctrine. It doesn't say that. That's what blew my mind when I began to look at this stuff. I'm like, look at the scriptures, and I say, where did it get this stuff? It's stuff people come up with. It doesn't say that you're covered by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't say that, that uh, he doesn't look at your sin. Matter of fact, it says all things are naked and open in the sight of the Lord, and he sees everything that you do. He does, there's nothing that escapes his sight. He sees that. So if we sin, we're responsible for our sin because we made a choice to sin. You say, well, we couldn't help it. The first thing after, the, when, when, after that, Adam and Eve failed. They ate the fruit of the tree. 
death reigned on him. What death? They died to where they, they, he said, from dust you came, to dust you shall return. He told the woman, in pain and labor, you'll, you'll, you'll have your children. He told the serpent, you'll, you'll crawl on the, on, the, uh, on the ground and you'll eat the dust of the earth all of your life. Never was it said in the curse that Adam's sin would also be passed on to his children. It never said that wasn't part of the curse. As a matter of fact, when you get to the next chapter, that was chapter 3, and you go to Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter it says that they, the first two children of Adam and Eve were who? Cain and Abel. Cain, he tells Cain, because Abel's sacrifice God's pleased with, and, Abel's, and Cain's sacrifice God is not pleased with, and Cain becomes jealous of his brother and envious and wants to kill his brother, remember? And God spoke to Cain, and he said that, that the, the sermon, that, he, that anger wants to rule over you. But he said, you must rule over it. He said, don't you murder. Don't you kill your brother. And what did he do? He went and killed his brother anyway. But God, God could have said, well, the best you're going to do, Cain, is you know, you're going to sin. You're going to probably murder your brother. He didn't say that. He told him not to do that. Why? Because... Because he had the power in him that God has put in every one of us to walk this out and obey God's commandments. The Bible says in, in, um, in John chapter 1 that he lights every man. He lighteth every man that comes into the world. In Titus chapter 2, he says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly righteous blameless lives in the eyes of the Lord. That's what grace does. It causes us, it, it, it's there to, to live the life in him and be victorious in the Lord. So there's no such thing as a sin nature. Anybody have any comments, anything you want to say? Well, well we should uh, bring up both the things that people refer to as where they, where they come up with that notion is hey, and the uh, Psalm 51, and where David said, I was surely born in iniquity. Uh, I, now, I, it reads different in King James, of course. You know, and King James seems like it, he's saying that his brother was in iniquity. Which he was. You know, it, yeah. But when, uh, some of the other versions uh, read, uh, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Mm. How can that be? Impossible. If, if an infant doesn't have the law, how can he transgress it? How can he be in sin? Well, that's what, you, that's what you have with a lot of the newer translations, yeah. is you have, you have a, 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 an interpretation of a translation. And but in most of the, in most, that's, that's a very rare one. Most of the translations do tell you that he was born in iniquity because his mother, his mother was, was said to have, married, have remarried and that his mother doesn't say that he was born in iniquity. The scripture actually says, um, let's see, it says here, uh, you said Psalms what? Yeah, 51. Psalms 51.5. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It doesn't say that he was, he was sinful when he was born. That would be ridiculous. That would, that would put every child that's born, if they died when they born, they would go to hell. And, and so that's, that's crazy. And that's what you end up getting by a lot of these doctors from twisted scriptures like that. And that is saying one thing is nothing else. Romans 5, 
17, is it? Or Romans 5, 17? Yeah. Well, he says in Romans 5, 5, 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. The scripture says in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that all are sinning and come to the glory of God. It says all have sinned. That's past tense. Mm -hmm. So we're not to continue in it. The Bible says, uh, actually in Romans chapter 6, the very next chapter, right there it's talking about, he says, what, verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbids that kind of thinking, he says in verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We've been set free from sin. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you're familiar with it, Jesus said this, he said to, the, to all the scribes, fairies, all those that are around, he says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they asked him, they said, what do you mean free? We're children of Abraham. We were, born, we were never in bondage to anyone. And Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But in whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. He's free from sin. You see, so... It's like in Romans 6, he, 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 he explains that again. He, he goes right, right there where we're looking at. Look what he says here. He says in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's, who you, it's, what, it's the choice you make, who you yield yourself. If you're going to yield yourself to disobedience, you're going, to, you're going to walk in disobedience. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Remember what Jesus said back in John 8? He said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He's a servant to sin. But here Jesus, is, Paul is writing, he says, but thanks be to God that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that former teaching which was delivered. You being then made free from sin, you became a servant to righteousness. That you're doing righteousness. You're not living in sin. You come forth from that. So in Christ, we've been made alive by coming to Christ. So what's, what's the essential steps in, in, in coming to the Lord? What, what, if somebody says, well, I, uh, let's, let's go there first of all. Look, look at Luke chapter 10. We talked about this before. But there's a man here. He comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus a very important question. Luke chapter 10. And in verse uh, 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really important question, isn't it? You want to ask the Lord, what, what do I, okay, everybody says all these different things. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Just a second, Wes, I'll be there. And look what Jesus says to him. He said, what's written in the law? How many people would tell you that today? Not many. They'd want to tell you, no, you're not under the law. You're not, you don't have to worry about the law. You can, what is the law? The law is the commandments of God. So that means you're not, you, you can murder, you can steal, you can kill. Those are all parts of the law. Jesus, Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do, how do you read it? And he says, and the man answered, he says, 
Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the whole law in itself. Because if you love somebody, if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you can't sin against them. It's impossible. If I, if, like, I love Ricky. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't do anything to hurt Ricky. I wouldn't steal from him, right? I wouldn't kill Ricky. I, I, I want to help him. I, wanna, I wouldn't do any ill to him. That's love. So you see, love fulfills the commandments of God. When you love like that, the Bible says that it's faith working through love that brings salvation. So we have a few signs in Scripture, and, and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to quote them because just, just for the sake, sake of time. But we have a few... Rick, go, uh, Wes, you wanted to say something? Yeah, uh, just to go along with what you're saying. In Ephesians chapter, or sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, you quoted this, or you quoted from it, but I think it, it goes really along with the whole idea that sin is imputed to you. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. So, sin entered the world through Adam, and death through sin. So that's what you said back to Genesis, that death is the consequences of Adam's sin. Um, and thus, death spread to all men, because all sin, like you said. Verse 13 says, For to tell the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So, Outside of the law coming, like what James says, you know, uh, to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it to him, it is sin, because sin is transgression of the law. So without the law, you know, being presented to somebody and then transgressing it, there is there is no sin. Sin cannot be imputed to you because sin is a moral choice. And if you look in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, you'll see the same concept. Paul, he says, in verse 9, he says, I was alive once without the law. But when, when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So there was a time in Paul's life where he was sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, who was his teacher, and he was learning the law. But before he learned the law, he's saying specifically in Romans chapter 9, uh, or chapter 7, verse 9, he says, I was alive at that point. But once the law came, was presented to him, and he transgressed it, then he died. So how did he? He was dead in his transgression and sin at that point. Why? Because he went against the law that he was taught. Why? Because sin cannot be imputed to you. It's impossible. Why? Because sin's a moral choice. It's, it can't be imputed to you. Just like Ezekiel chapter 18, which John read from. It's, it, you know, if, if you do right and your father does wrong, then sin's not just going to be transferred to you. Just like righteousness cannot be transferred to you. You know, because righteousness is a moral choice. This is why 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Let no one deceive you. 
For he that doeth righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, because righteousness is a choice, and also sin is a choice in the same fashion. Thank you, Wes. That's good. Uh, one thing that, that Wes quoted there, that last verse, 1 John 3, 7 and 8, um, some will tell you that you are the righteousness of Christ, that you've inherited his righteousness. 1 John, with the scripture you just read, he said, who is he that is righteous? He says, first of all, the scripture says, be not deceived. He that doeth, he that does righteousness, is righteous even as he is righteous. What would be the deception of why he's warning you to be deceived there? Because someone could actually think that I'm righteous without doing righteousness. If you're not doing righteousness, you're not righteous. And, and that's what he's trying to clear up because there would be a deception. Paul wrote, he said in the last days, he said there would be men that would, would be deceived and be deceiving others. And the reason why I start off with this a lot of times with this is because you really, you really need to get this. You need to get that you're not born with a depraved nature. There's no such thing in the scriptures as original sin or an Adamic nature. This was something inherited into the church after 325 AD. If you go back in church history, it was never there. It wasn't there. It was always man had a free choice. But the enemy came in and crept in, and now you got a bunch of people believing that, hey, I'm going to get in heaven with my sin. Because Christ is not looking at my sin. He sees me as righteous because of what Christ did. And what the, what the result of that is, in other words, they're preaching the same thing that, that the serpent preached to Eve in the garden. He told Eve, he says, you can eat that sin, that, that, that fruit. You can sin, and you're still, you're not going to die. It was a lie. Man is doing the same thing today. He's telling you, you can sin and die in your sin, and you're still going to go to heaven. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, that nothing defiled shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Nothing but holiness. There's no wickedness in heaven. It's going to all be holiness. And you're not going to make some automatic transfer where you become another human being when you come into heaven. Ricky, you're going to be the same person you are here. So where, where's the time that you, need, that you got to take care of getting things right? Right now. He said, behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. You've got to get things right now. And that's the urgency I have on my heart, the mission that I have on my heart, is to share this with people to get them out of that mode that, they, that they've been taught and, and because of, of not researching and not and just going ignorantly, so we, we easily trust other people. We trust our preachers, or our popes, or our pastors, or whatever. But to actually look and dig in and see what's really, when I begin to look at this and I saw, wow, so man, I've been deceived all this time. And I, I tell Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I took their word for it and I didn't look it up and look into it myself. And once I started looking into it and I discovered that I've been living a lie all my life thinking that, I, uh, that I'm okay in my sin and I'm not. It's like the scripture Don quoted. He says, it says in, in Hebrews 12, it says, without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. So how are you going to see the Lord if you're not holy? And actually he says in, in Hebrews 5, 9, he says that he is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What does obedience have to do with it? You don't have salvation without it. Obedience is necessary. What really got me, my wife's favorite scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to turn there. She 
says, always quote this scripture. This is a good scripture. <laughs> so it does. It's a, it's a very awakening. And this is what needs to happen in the church today. Verse 17 of, chapter, of 1 Peter 5. He says, for time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What is going to happen to you if you're not obeying the gospel? If you're not doing what Jesus said? What happens to the guy that comes to Jesus? He's a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he asks the same question that the lawyer asked Jesus. He says, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus starts naming off the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. He's naming the commandments. And the young man said to him, he said, all these I've done since I was young. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. Because the man loved money, and the love of money was the root of all evil. The man did what? What did he do? He walked away sorrowfully. He couldn't do it. He wasn't willing to give that up. How many things did it take that man to miss what God told me? One sin. Well, what about it? He said, well, I can't possibly. All these multitudes of people are going to end up in hell. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to death. And many there be that go that way. But narrow is the gate. And straight is the way that leads to life. And how many? Few. few there be that find it. It's only a few. So when Noah, in his day, thousands of people, how many people got in the ark? Noah and his family, just a few. Well, what, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? All those people that were there. How many people made it out of the city? I mean, they started out, even Lot's wife came out, and she looked back, wanting to go back. She didn't even make it. And he had a couple of daughters that really weren't right, but he got them out. And that day later on did some stuff that was crazy. But it was really just Lot. And he said he vexed his righteous soul living in that. And we got people that are, that are doing all these things. Uh, you know, and I say this over and over again in my life. says, you say it enough, Don. But I bear lied to. Most of you have been lied to into telling you that you're okay. See, people, they, they keep telling you, well, you got this process of sanctification. And as you, you come forward, you accept the Lord, you ask God to forgive you for your sins, you're saved and good to go and the preacher patches you on the back and you go. And you're in your sin. You know what my Bible says? Look at Matthew chapter 1. They want to tell you you're saved in your sin. This is what, this is what, my, script, what my Bible tells me. Verse 21. Talking about when Jesus is born and Jesus coming into earth. And she shall bring forth a child, son and shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people, not in their sin, from their sin. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He says, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Take them away from you. If I take something away from you, you don't have it anymore. He wants you to be clean and holy and righteous in him. He wants you to walk like you say, well, nobody's ever walked righteous. Oh, really? Look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 
Luke chapter 1, real quick. It was two people. It was Zacharias and, and John. No, Zacharias and Elizabeth, excuse me. They were the mother and father of John the Baptist. And they, they went to the temple. And it talks about who they were in verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah, and his wife uh, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both what? Righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Why can't you do that? Where'd you do that? Why aren't you like that? Because somebody told you that you can't do it. Somebody told you that you're born in sin and the best you'll ever do, you're just an old, old sinner saved by grace, which is a lie. That's an oxymoron. That's, a, that's not true. You have to be redeemed. The scripture is very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Well, let's, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Then repentance to salvation not to be repented of. So let's take it step by step. The first place a person comes to come to is they have to realize that they missed the mark, that they've transgressed the commandment of God and that they're doomed to hell because no sin can get in heaven, into heaven. And it causes the fear to come on your heart. Yes, fear, scared, afraid. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go. Now preachers will preach today, oh, you're not supposed to fear the Lord, you're supposed to reverence him. Don't Jesus said to, not to fear him who's able to kill your body, but fear him after he's killed your body, he's able to cast you into hell. You need to have the fear of God. In Proverbs 16, 6, it says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You get scared enough, you're going to quit doing it, right? If you know the, the consequences of it. You knew the consequences with your parents when you were raised up and you did something wrong and they corrected you for that. They're chasing you for that. You're like, okay, I won't do that again. I know the consequences. You got to know the consequences of your sin. The wages of sin is death. The penalty of your sin is eternal damnation. In, in the book of uh, John chapter 5, turn with me there. John chapter 5. And in verse 28, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour comes when all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Those that have done good shall be resurrected. Those that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. <laughs> he didn't say, well, those that accepted the Lord is going to have life. No, those that have done evil, they won't make it. They're not going to make it. And go with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll, I'll open up just a second, Wes. 2 Corinthians 5. We were talking about this this morning in service on, on Skype. And it says uh, in, in, second, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, some people believe that their sins are covered. Now, watch, watch, tell me how much they covered right here. <laughs> Verse 10. For we must all, how many is all? All of us, right? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, everyone means everyone, may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Some people say, well, well, yeah, that's just a reward thing. No, no, go, go with me to uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12. Keep this in mind, what you just read here. Every man's going to be judged. He's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It says that also in Romans 14. But in Matthew chapter 12, 
Let's go there. And we'll start at verse, um, verse 33. He says this. He says, Claire, let me know if I'm, not, if I'm going too fast. You've got to control me here, okay? <laughs> Everybody there yet? Okay, I assume you are. Matthew 12, 33 says, Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Well, who does he say to make it? He says, you make it good. Or you make it evil. You, you make your choice. Oh, generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out, of the, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I got something coming out of my mouth, then I know my heart's messed up. And I got to deal with my heart to get my mouth to cooperate right. Right? Is that right? Okay, then he says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. It's kind of like a good tree brings forth good fruit and cannot bring forth evil fruit. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Everything you say. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for everything you said or done. But look what he says. For by your words you shall be justified, made right. And by thy words you shall be condemned. You know what the word condemned means? You're not going to make it. It means you're going to be condemned. You're, going to, you're not going to make it to heaven. So when he said you'll be judged for those things done in your body, whether it be good or bad, he's talking about a judgment that's a final judgment that you're, not, you're either going to make it in or you're not going to make it in. The ones you feed win. Sir? The ones you feed win. Yeah. Wes, go ahead. You're really getting that screen large now. You got it down in the left, right hand corner. <laughs> there we go. Uh, just to add to what you're saying, out of Romans chapter 2, uh, in regards to all that stand before the judgment seat of Christ, who's sick. Well, actually, verse 5, but in accordance with the hardness in your impenitent heart, so impenitent heart means unrepentant, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, not according to Jesus' deeds, uh, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, but to those who are self-seeking uh, and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. So there it is again. It's mm -hmm. to those who obey eternal life, to those who don't obey condemnation. And uh, this is not just about confessing Jesus' Lord. This is about actually doing righteousness um, because it talks about people being self-seeking, and not obeying. If you turn over to First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter one, same concept. It's in verse six it says, "Since it is a righteous thing with tribulation, those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels." In verse eight, same. in flaming fire, taking vengeance on mm -hmm. those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
these shall be punished with everlasting destruction in the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So, you see, the concept is that if you don't obey, you're going to have everlasting destruction. And if you do obey, according to Romans chapter 2, you have everlasting life. And so there it is again, just like the Old Testament says, life and death is set before you, therefore choose life that you and your seed will be blessed. If that is sinful nature, God couldn't set anything good and evil before you for you to have a choice because all you could do is choose evil. So it's all throughout the New Testament. There is no sin nature, and the only grace that we have is the proof that's shown us, and as we respond to it, uh, eternal life can be our portion. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. Thank you very much. You know, this is, this is so important. You've got to get this. Some, some uh, may say in their minds and think, well, gee, Don, you, you, you share the same things a lot. You share about sin. You share about the sin nature. The reason I do is because if you haven't gotten it, there's no point in going any further. This is the foundation of it. We can talk about just uh, we, we can talk about all these other things that the scripture talks about too, and we will. But you got to get this down first. The first thing you do is, is we have to tear down some things of the past in order to move forward for the future. And when when there's some old building blocks have been there for years that have, have taught us and still to this day being taught out there, which is false doctrines. Of, of telling people things like this, that you're born into sin nature, then you then people are believing that they're always going to sin, that they can't help but sin, that the best they can do is sin, which is really when you stop and think about it, it's really ridiculous to think that, that you would not be responsible for your own actions. Some people say, well, well you're human. The best you can do is mess up. You're all human. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, he took on flesh and blood in Hebrews chapter 2, just like us. He was tempted at every point, the Bible says, just like we're tempted, yet was without sin, so that he can secure or help those who are being tempted. So Jesus took this on to show us that way to overcome sin. And, and this, is, this is so important to get this. So to move on from that and go on, and, and, you, you haven't, and a, lot of, a lot of people did that, and they think they know a lot. But what's the difference? It's like I was talking to Jehovah Witness one time, and he was telling me all about how heaven is going to be and how this is going to be. But he had everything wrong about what it took to make it there. What's the point in knowing about all of it if you don't, even, if not even going to make it there? That's pointless. You need to know the direction to get there before you try to explore all the other things that are there also. So the first thing in the foundation that I try to break down first is to get rid of the teachings and the false teaching of, of, of a sin nature. And to understand that. The second thing is, is what really is sin? What sin is he talking about? What, is he, what, what does it mean that if you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God? I'll give you an example. Go with me to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 9. Now, we talked about Elizabeth and Zacharias being righteous. And it explained, we saw what righteous meant there when it says that they were blameless and, and walking in all the commandments of God. That's what righteous means. 
So we know what righteous means, so what would unrighteous mean? If that meant righteous, what does unrighteous mean? That means you're not walking in the commandments of God. That means you're not blameless, that, you, that, you, that you're messing up, maybe every now and then. So let's see what it says here, verse 9. It says, know ye not, it's important that you get this, and know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to make it. And then it explains what those are. Some people like to use the word practice in there. That they didn't practice these things. Well, let's see what the list actually says. Be not deceived. There we go again. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. A lot of people think, well, it's okay to live with a person without being married to them. That's fornication. You're not going to make it. Idolaters. You know what that is? Adulterers. Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 7. He says, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. So he would fit this same thing. He's the adulterer. He's not going to make it. Effeminates. Homosexuals. They believe, well, just as long as you love, they have this lovey thing. And by the way, what is love? Is love just an emotion or a feeling? Jesus explained what love was in John 14, 23. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So that's what love is. If you're not obeying his commandments, you don't love the Lord. Maybe you feel somewhat for him. Maybe you feel all these emotions for him. But Jesus said, you're not really loving me if you're not obeying me. And you can go back and look at that in John chapter 14 and all of the scriptures actually. No abuse of the self of mankind, no thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor violence, extortions. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. So we know murderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if it's all, well, well, some will say, well, as long as you're not practicing murder, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, how many times you got to murder to be practicing murder? How many times do you have to murder to be considered a murderer? I mean, you, you were there in jail. I mean, you probably had some people that maybe murdered one time and they were in jail, right? <laughs> and they were considered what? Murder. murder. Right. So that, that wouldn't work. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. What does it say? He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But look, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is second death. Now, does somebody see an addendum there or something that says, well, if you went to church regular, if you went forward at an altar, if you prayed a sinner's prayer, if you done all these things, you're exempt from this. I can't find that. It says if you do these things, you're not going to enter. You're not going to make it. So what is there to understand? Don? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did they stop doing it? 
Amen. Anybody have some uh, questions about this so far? Anybody have anything on their heart? Anybody have anything to refute on that? Nobody? Okay, well, that's pretty good. Praise the Lord. I hope you're speaking up. Y'all okay with everything? You okay? You understand? You understand? Yeah. Good. Okay. okay. So, the. I thought I got the. Uh, when, when it says uh, no liars will inherit the kingdom of God, if you say, well, I'm not lying, well, if you say you're not lying and you're doing these things, you're a liar. Well, it put you in a corner, Hilarious. Huh? I'll put you in a corner, won't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, lying, yeah. and you're doing covered lying. Yeah, basically, yeah. you're committing more than one sin if you're lying that you're lying, huh? Look at the book of 1 John. Now, when you share this with some people, some people get angry because they want to believe that they're okay in their sin. And so they get angry with you instead of really just humbling yourself to the Word. The Word of God says in James chapter 4, verse 8, He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you want to humble yourself to God's Word. Say, God, your Word is the authority. God's Word is the authority in your life, right? That's the authority. It's not the religion. It's not the man, uh, some man, but it's His Word. Because the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So we use the Word of God to speak the truth. Not, not some man to tell us. We use God's word to tell us. So let's stick, we want to stick to, to the word of God of what it says, not add to it, not take away from it, because you got all that. That's why you got all these different religions, and they all, a lot of them all thinking they're right, because it's man, a lot of man's doctrine instead of just the simple word of God. And God's word is simple. It's real simple. I mean, what is there to figure out when, when you read the word and he says, Awake to righteousness and quit sinning. Well, we got to really dissect that. What does that really mean? You know, it's pretty plain. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we, or 5, 15, that we should no longer live unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us. For if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. So that is what? That is the repentant man. Repentance means that we, repentance doesn't mean forgiveness. A lot of people think, well, repentance means just asking God to forgive you. No, that's not repentance. So. Repentance means, actually, the Greek word repent means to have a change of mind, which your mind is you. That means you change your mind. You're not doing that anymore. If, I, if I'm smoking cigarettes and I don't see a, a commercial, I use that illustration or something, and might say cigarettes are bad for my health, and I change my mind. I'm not, I've changed my mind. I don't want to smoke anymore. So what's going to happen as a result? I'm going to quit smoking. So if I change my mind about sin, he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That is repentant. Old things are past. That old life that I lived, it's gone. All things have become new. All things of God. It's not some things have become new. That's why the repentance has to be deep. 
where it's not a shallow repentance, but it's a repentance from all sin, not just some sin. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 13, it says, it says this. He says, he that covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes them shall be shown mercy. And in Isaiah 55, he said, let the wicked depart from his wicked way and let him turn to the Lord and walk in righteousness and put that old life out. That is repentance. And repentance is necessary before salvation. But a lot of people have it backwards. They say, come like you are, God's going to clean you up. The Bible doesn't say that. God commands you, he says, he commands every man everywhere to repent in Acts chapter 17. God commands you to repent. God's not going to repent for you. That's your choice. He's not going to force you to do it. It's your will. And your repentance is from, like you said, you walk in one direction, you basically start walking in another direction. Old man passed, new man comes in, all, everything's new. And that is a decision that each one of us have to make. And without it, I don't care how many times you've been down at an altar, how many times you care, how many times you ask God to forgive you, if your life hasn't changed, you do not have salvation. Amen. You get that? Over and over again. If your life hasn't completely changed, you're not saved. I don't care how many people tell you you are. What is saved? Saved is that you're going to heaven, that you have salvation. Without holiness, you're not saved. Without obedience, you're not, eternal salvation, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. Don't expect it. God has done wonderful things for each of us. You're my brother, man. I'm so thankful. He was dying. He was going to meet the Lord. He's there tonight. He rose, he basically rose him from the dead. He was dead. Right? The kidneys were dead. He was on dialysis. You're not on dialysis. You, and he gets off the dialysis machine. The kidneys are not working at all. There's no function to his kidneys. They're gone. He comes home to die, and all of a sudden he starts feeling better. God raises him up from the dead. And here he is tonight, a year later, walking around here. You think God's not alive? Think he doesn't do miracles? You think he's not merciful to us to, to give us opportunity after opportunity to hear the truth and be able to turn from it? But some of you are thinking, some may be thinking there, they're thinking, well, you know, one day I'll do better. Mm. One day I'll quit this stuff coming out of my mouth or quit this whatever it might be. I don't know what it is. You know. You think, well, that's what the church taught me. I'm just going to stick with that. Wow, you really? You're going to trust some man for your eternal, de eternal desti destiny? It's not that important to you? But you'll study books and you'll do all these other things, but, and you'll, you'll look at all, you come in and you do all kinds of things, but you won't take this seriously? The most important thing in life? Wow. It changed me. Sir? It changed me. Yeah, that's right. Me too. <laughs> and he changed me even more when I heard your story when you told me that. I went around telling everybody, asking everybody, everybody knows your story already. Because I told everybody that I know. And I share your testimony with everyone. Because I know that was a tremendous miracle. I know and I saw what God did for you. I went and visited you when you were dying and, and getting your family together. It's not just a story I heard by somebody. This is my best friend that was dying. And I, we were broken together knowing it, thinking it was coming. And God all of a sudden did a mighty miracle. Let us proclaim that to the ends of the earth. You know, and that's what we do. But let us even more so proclaim the way to the kingdom of God. 
the opportunity that he gives to have a mission to be able to say, listen, my God's still alive. My God's raising people from the dead. My God will, will, will call you to take, it's the goodness of God to lead a man to repentance, the Bible says in Romans 2, to find that place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Honesty, honesty with God. The scripture says in, in 1 John, I wanted to just I'll go there and we'll close, and it's, it talks about, the whole book there, he's written in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I write to you that you sin not. He said, that's the whole reason I'm writing to you, is that you don't sin. And he goes on down and he says, in verse 4, he says, he that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth's not in him. So if I say I'm a Christian, if I say I really know the Lord, and I'm not keeping the commandments of God, I'm not doing what he said, I'm just lying to myself and everybody else. I'm that liar you talked about, Larry, and made sin to sin there, you see. But he said, but whoever keeps his word, what, you mean you can keep his word? You can live without sin? Well, now we'll see, there's that fellow right there. In him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Why? Because the love, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is doing the commandments of God. Hereby I know we that know that we're in him. He that saith, I, I, I abide, I live in him, ought himself to also to walk just like Jesus walked. That's how we're to walk. Just like him. Wow. Quick, real quick. Chapter 3, 1 John. We had read verse 6. It says, uh, Whosoever abides in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. He's not right with God yet. So if I read this and I see that I have a sin in my life, or had sin, I have to admit, well, I'm still of the devil. But I don't want to be of the devil. So what am I going to do? I'm going to repent of every sin in my life. Then you listen to me. The Lord is weary with people that go back and forth, claiming that they're repenting and then coming back, repenting and coming back. God wants a final repentance where you repent from all your sin and you become that new creature. You, it doesn't say you're becoming a new creature, as you may, may read. It doesn't say you become all things are becoming new. All old things are passing away. No, it doesn't say that. It says when there's repentance that takes place, Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Come on, Jacob, let's please sing a song.
The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 to examine yourselves, to prove your own selves, to see whether you be in the faith. It's important before you take on the Lord's body and blood to examine in your own heart that your heart is right with God. Because he said in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that this, for this, some men eat and drink damnation unto their souls. So just beware of that, that. Don't take it if things are not right. Better yet, that you make things right now. On that last day before Jesus went to be crucified, he had supper 
with his disciples. The 12 of them were there. And while he was there, he took the bread that they were eating, and he took it, and he lifted it up, and he, bro he had broke it and lifted it up. And he said, this is my body that I've given up for you. And as often as you come together, I want you to take this, and I want you to eat it. After that, he had taken the cup. He said, this is my blood that I shed for you. The new covenant. The new testament. I give for each of you. Eat my body and drink my blood. And they took the cup and they drank together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, from my heart, God, for this time together with my brethren. I am so thankful, God, tonight for what you did, my dear friend, God, my lifetime friend, Ricky. How, Lord, you gave him life again. You raised him up. And you let us all see that miracle of his life, God. When all hope was gone, when desperation had reached its pinnacle and his family and those loved ones and our broken hearts, God, that you brought him back to life. You caused his organs to come back and to life again. I'm so thankful, God, that he and his wife could be here tonight, Lord, to testify of the wonderful miracle that you've done in his life. Thankful for Jacob and his wife and son to be here tonight, Lord. I pray, that, Lord, that your word will have its free course in all of our lives, Father, and will accomplish that for which it is sent. That everyone in this room, God, will take heed and be ready for that final day. It's like what happened with Ricky. You, you, you don't know. It'd be today or tomorrow. But the important thing is that we make sure that we have turned to you with all of our hearts to live for you, God. I thank you for each and every one, Lord, here tonight. Pray for them, God, that you will lead and direct them by your Holy Spirit, that they would trust in you with all their heart and not lean to their own understanding, but acknowledge you in all their ways and walk in your path. Pray your blessing, blessing upon each one. And I'm thank, so thankful that Larry's okay, God. I appreciate, Lord, what you've done for him and that he's made it here tonight, Lord. What a miracle for him to be here. Thank you for each one. May the blessings of you, Almighty God, be upon all, all this week. Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.